Good morning. Today, my age matches my draft lottery number. Hmm? Yeah. But I think I was fortunate that both were 71. Thank you very much. And today's scripture, we start with Philippians chapter 1. It's on page 830 of your Red Pew Bible. Now I want you to know, brothers and sisters, that what happened to me has actually served to advance the gospel. As a result, it has become clear throughout the whole palace guard and to everyone else that I am in chains for Christ. And because of my chains, most of the brothers and sisters have become confident in the Lord and dare all the more to proclaim the gospel without fear. It is true that some preach Christ out of envy and rivalry, but others out of goodwill, the latter do so. The latter do so out of love, knowing that I am put here for the defense of the gospel. The former preach Christ out of selfish ambition, not sincerely, supposing that they can stir up trouble for me while I am in chains. But what does that matter? The important thing is that in every way, whether from false motives or true, Christ is preached. And because of this, I rejoice. And we back up to Matthew 20, which is on page 697 of the Red Pew Bible. It's a parable of the workers in the vineyard. For the kingdom of heaven is like a landowner who went out early in the morning to hire workers for his vineyard. He agreed to pay them a denarius for the day and sent them out into his vineyard. About nine in the morning, he went out and saw others standing in the marketplace doing nothing. He told them, you also go and work in my vineyard, and I will pay you whatever is right. So they went. He went out again about noon and about three in the afternoon and did the same thing. About five in the afternoon, he went out and found still others standing around. He asked them, why have you been standing here all day long doing nothing? Because no one is hired us, they answered. He said to them, you go and work in my vineyard. When evening came, the owner of the vineyard said to his foreman, call the workers and pay them their wages, beginning with the last ones hired and going on to the first. The workers who were hired about five in the afternoon came and each received a denarius. So when those came who were hired first, they expected to receive more. But each of one of them also received a denarius. When they received it, they began to grumble against the landowner. Th these who were hired last worked only one hour, they said, and you have made them equal to us who have borne the burden of the work and the heat of the day. But he answered one of them, Am I not being fair to you, friend? Didn't you agree to work for a denarius? Take your pay and go. I want to give the one who was hired last the same as I give, gave you. Don't I have the right to do what I want with my own money? 
or are you envious because I'm generous? So the last will be first, and the first will be last. God bless the reading of his word. Morning. It's not fair. It's just not fair, is it? I don't know. What's not fair? Lots of things aren't fair. What's not fair? What? What is it? Daylight. Oh, that is definitely not fair. What's not fair, Maya? What's? Taxes. Over taxes. Hayden, what's not fair? Sometimes life isn't fair, right? Yeah, sometimes, you know, you work really hard and somebody else doesn't work so hard, but you still get paid the same amount. They get the promotion. They get the ice cream at the end of the day and you get the wrapper. <laughs> yeah, that it happens a lot. I, I hear, that's not fair a lot at school when uh, things happen. That's not fair. That's not fair. Well, our scripture reading from Matthew today I could hear that. That's not fair. That's not fair. Um, that's the story about the, the people that worked in the vineyard. So I thought I would try to illustrate that for you a little bit. So I brought some, some rope here. I have three pieces. I have this very short one. I have this really long one. And I have a medium one. Okay. So these are going to represent the different people in our story. So the first one, the long one here, that person worked a very long time, all day. Got there at dawn and worked till the end of the day. This person came in probably around noontime, worked pretty hard. And this one probably came in an hour before closing. Don't you hate those people? Yeah. Well, we're going to start with this one. Um, so this person came and they, they said, yeah, I'll work. Um, the, the owner of the vineyard said, I'm going to pay you a fair wage. I'll pay you a denarius, which was a day's wage. He told that to this person when he hired him. He also told it to this person and to this person. So this person's here in the vineyard working, and so is this one. Yeah, they're working. And our good friend here, the faithful one that's been there all day working really hard, Okay, so they're all working, 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 picking those grapes. Well, the end of the day comes, and the owner comes back, and he says, okay, I'm going to pay you. Remember, I promised to pay you a fair wage. So I'm going to start with the one that I hired last. So if you want to come up here and get your pay, um, I'm going to pay you a denarius, because that's what I said. Pretty good, right? Work a couple of hours, get paid. Oh, wait a minute, you can help me in a minute, but not yet. Okay, then we have this one that came in at noontime, and they got the same pay as the person that came at the end of the day. Not too bad. A whole denarius for half a day's work. Got this. Now this poor guy here, he's been there a very long time, since dawn. Probably got a lot of sunburn, blisters, probably hot and tired, and he gets paid the same amount. I don't think they're too happy, this guy. He wasn't too happy. He's like, hey, I worked harder than you. I should, I should get more money. Why aren't you paying me more money? I worked harder than this guy. 
This guy only came for an hour or two, and I've been here 10 hours, and this guy's only been here five. What's up? Well, Jesus said, the kingdom of God is like this. God wants to treat each one of us fairly, equally, whether we come to know him when we're children, whether we come to know him when we're middle-aged, whether we come to know him on our deathbed. He wants to give us the gift of grace, the gift of eternal life, no matter when we come to him. So those of us that have known Jesus and God all of our lives, should we be mad about the thief on the cross who was forgiven that very minute before he died? I don't think so. Because if we're grumpy and, and jealous of that, we're going to have a very miserable life. God loves each one of us, and he wants the best for all of us. He wants us to all be with him. He doesn't want us to have to worry about working shorter hours or longer hours. The grace is the same, because God loves each one of us. Let's pray. Dear Lord, sometimes life feels like it's not fair, but we know that with you it is. You only want the best for each one of us. And there may have been reasons why those other people only worked part of the day. There may be reasons why we get the wrapper and everybody else gets the good stuff. But we know that you have it all under control. And we're just so glad that we have come to know you now and not have to wait until our deathbed. We can enjoy your presence now, knowing that we'll spend eternity with you. So help us to spread that good news and do it with joy so that everyone can know the grace that you give, and the forgiveness, and the new life. In Jesus' name, amen. people online you're gonna you just missed the whole start of this so what I was saying was I'm competitive but I usually lose maybe because I don't turn my mic on <laughs> I don't know anyway I am not a good loser so I have learned to avoid competition it's just not good for me it is not good for my mental health not really great for my relationships. I just try not to compete at all. And as I have 
grown older, I have started to wonder whether competition is very good for most people. I think it's fine if you're competitive in a game and you can play in good fun and you can win or lose and it's, you know, you're doing your best. That's, that's fine, but I work with a lot of people who I hear, both here and online and in, in other places in my life, who I hear making comparisons about themselves to other people all the time. And it, sometimes it's in their favor and sometimes it's not. But so I teach a class for, for the pilgrimage called Stepping Into the Story. You've probably heard of it. And we look back on our lives, and usually there's a group of three or four people in there, plus me, and we're talking about our lives, and some people's lives are really, really hard. And other people's lives are not so hard, but maybe they have felt like they were really hard. And so at the beginning of the 12-week class, I always say to people now, do not compare yourself to each other. This is not a competition. Comparison is the devil. And I say that not jokingly. I say it seriously because I think that comparison, which leads to competition, actually is something that the devil uses to mess up God's people and to get in our way and to keep us apart. And we can see that at the very beginning of the Bible in Genesis 3 when the devil says to the man and the woman, if you eat from this tree that God told you not to eat from, you will be like God. That is a comparison. He's already setting them up to try to compete with God. That's ridiculous, but... It's not that surprising that then the next sin that we read about in the Bible is between two brothers. They compete. They are trying to, one of them at least, feels that God favors his brother over him, and he gets so mad that he kills his brother. And ever since then, that's what human relationships often look like, and even in the people of God. Last week we talked about God having the type of love for people that enables him to like us, in spite of our sins and our mistakes. And when we are aware of that, that God actually doesn't just love us, but actually has affection for us, that's the kind of love that he has, that can empower us to learn to like each other as we learn to love each other in the power of Jesus Christ. And so we're going to look in a minute at this snippet of the letter that Tom read for us this morning, the letter to the Philippians. Paul is writing this letter to the people in the church of Philippi, and he really likes this particular church. But it's interesting that after he tells them how much he likes them, how much he prays for them with joy all the time, um, he starts to talk about some conflict, and it kind of seems like the conflict is not coming from the church in Philippi, but it's maybe coming from some other churches that they're aware of, and Paul, it, it almost, he doesn't state it 
clearly, but it seems like Paul is kind of trying to say, hey guys, just don't compare yourself to these guys and think, oh, well, we're good because we're not giving Paul a hard time. Um, He's trying to remind them that as long as Jesus Christ is preached, that's the important thing. But even though he's talking to people that he likes and that like him, let's be honest, it does not come naturally to like everyone in your family or in your church family, especially when they do things that are maybe annoying, but sometimes people do things actually against you in your family, in your church family, in your community. Sibling rivalry is a thing. So I included Jesus' parable about the workers in the vineyard, and I love it when Barb focuses on the passage that I'm not going to focus on, because, yeah, I just love it. Um, (laughs) But I did want to, I wanted to get that in there today, because that is a really good um, illustration of where sometimes our rivalry comes from, right? I did all the work. How come they're getting the same thing as me? The ones in this story that Jesus told who work longer and harder are kind of annoyed that the vineyard owner wanted to pay the people that work for an hour the same amount as they agreed to work for. God, I wouldn't say God is a socialist, but he's not a capitalist either. Capitalism does not work the way this vineyard worker works. God wants, God, who's the vineyard owner in these parables, God wants his people to work wholeheartedly for him, not so that we can be the high achievers or so we can be the employee of the month or so we can get the best reward, but because we love him, we love people, and we love participating with him in the work of the kingdom. God wants, and there are many passages in the Bible that include this truth, God wants his people to be provided for. Emotionally, physically, spiritually, materially, all of those things. But he doesn't want us to be part of his kingdom for the reward, any reward that isn't him. He wants us to do it for love of him and then of each other. We're going to talk a little bit more about loving God probably next week. But this is one area in which there can be a lot of sibling rivalry among God's people. When we start to think, well, I've been a Christian longer, or I do more in the church, or I've been at this church for my whole life, or I, and that person, what are they doing? Um, Paul's scenario here that he's writing about to the Philippians is a little bit different. Paul experienced a lot of competition in his life, <coughs> and we can get a little bit more detail about it in some of the other letters he wrote to other churches. So at the beginning of 1 Corinthians, he points out that some people in that church, at least, were fighting about which preacher they were the most closely aligned with. We have celebrity preachers in the United States, and um, that becomes a problem. And I guess it happened all the way back in the first century, and it was a problem then, too. And so he, there was a a teacher, a Christian teacher named Apollos. And so some of the people in Corinth were like, I follow Apollos. And other people were, I follow Paul. And, and um, 
And then the really spiritual ones would say, well, I followed Jesus. <laughs> yeah, well, obviously we're all supposed to be following Jesus, but you can absolutely say that in a very self-righteous way. And so the Apostle Paul tries to correct the Corinthian Christians and say, says, just get over it. Just follow Jesus yourself. Don't worry about the, whose, whose big name is on your marquee in front of your church. And he also talks to the people in the Galatian church, in the book of Galatians. There were people there who were trying to confuse the new Christians who had started following Jesus out of Gentile background instead of Jewish background, and some people were going in there and saying, well, you have to become fully Jewish first before, if you're going to really follow the Messiah. And, and so Paul was having conflict with those people too. So apparently there is also some kind of conflict going on for Paul while he's in prison. Really? Give the guy a break. Sheesh. Anyway, so in verse 15 of Philippians 1, he says, Some people preach Christ out of envy and rivalry, but others out of goodwill. And it's a little tough to know exactly how this played out. How are people preaching Christ out of envy and rivalry while Paul's in prison? Um, and then other people are preaching out of goodwill. So we have to use our imaginations a little bit to figure out exactly what was going on here. Um, Paul does say the latter, the people who preach out of goodwill, do so out of love, knowing that I am put here, put in jail, for the defense of the gospel. So Paul's in jail, but it's because he's defending the gospel, the good news about Jesus, not because he committed some giant sin or crime or some scandal. He's there because he was sharing the good news, and he was doing so sincerely, and that got him in trouble. And so these people who are preaching out of goodwill are now doing the same thing. They're sharing the good news sincerely because they love Jesus and Jesus' people. They love Paul. So it's like Paul is out of the loop right now. He can't travel and, and help these churches like he has been doing. So we're going we're gonna to step up now. We're going to do it. We're going to help out. And then he says about the other people, the former, the envious and rivalrous, people, uh, preach Christ out of selfish ambition, not sincerely, supposing that they can stir up trouble for me while I am in chains. Somehow these people are, <coughs> Paul's in jail, so they are somehow taking this opportunity to throw him under the bus. Maybe they're questioning his character and his godliness. Did you know that preacher Paul? He's in jail. And it seems like they're doing it so that they can get more followers for themselves. They can get more attention. It's really crazy. They didn't have social media back then, but this feels really familiar. Um, well, Paul can't... Paul's the famous guy, but he's in jail, so maybe I can become the famous guy now. So what do we do when Christ is named but not well it seems like, most likely, if there are some people that are trying to, that are feeling competitive against Paul, um, 
If they're preaching Jesus with selfish motives and they're trying to sabotage the work that God himself is doing through the Apostle Paul, probably what they're preaching isn't exactly the full good news, right? Which I would think is a problem. You might know about me that I work with a lot of people who don't, who are Christians maybe, but they have been hurt by the church or for whatever reason don't go to church, so they do stuff online with me. Um, Because of those people and because for those people and for this church I pay attention to a lot of church news, um, what I see there, if the Apostle Paul were right here, I would like to debate him about this. Does it really not matter how Christ is preached? It's interesting that Paul does not try to say, well, the real Jesus followers preach Jesus sincerely out of good hearts, and the other ones probably aren't really following Jesus because they are full of envy and rivalry. He writes as if he assumes they are still his brothers and sisters, even if maybe not all of them were actually right with God, and in any case, they certainly were not acting like Jesus. And so I think for someone like me, I have to remember, similar to now, wherever any people that I see preaching Christ but maybe not living like him, If I see those people, I can't assume where they stand with God. I don't know. Right now, there are people who call themselves Christians who are giving God or giving Jesus or giving the church a bad name. They publicly call themselves Christians. They may be pastors of churches. But somehow they lack integrity or they are sexually immoral or they are even sexual predators or they are spiritually abusive, or they are more interested in political power than the good well-being of their brothers and sisters in Christ and their relationship with Jesus. And to all of that, the Apostle Paul says in verse 18, but what does it matter? What? Really, Paul? Really? Some of us, some people who call ourselves Christians, and since Paul doesn't differentiate between the real Christians and the not real Christians, I don't think I can probably do that either. Some of us, that means, are dragging Jesus' name through the mud. Like, right now. And one of the actual Ten Commandments says, do not take the name of the Lord your God in vain, and Jesus is the Lord our God, and taking God's name in vain is way more than just using it as a swear word. It has to do, the Old Testament is very clear that taking God's name in vain means you are bearing God's name and you are living in a way that is contrary to it. How we bear God's name, how we take God's name, has to do with how we reflect or don't reflect God in our lives. And Paul was a Pharisee, so he would have known this. 
And in other letters that he's written, he tells people off pretty strongly for making Jesus look bad by their worldly behavior. So what in the world is going on here? I don't know. (laughs) There aren't too many pastors that will say that that strongly, emphatically, thank you, just so you know. I don't totally know what's going on here, but we're going to work through this together. In some ways, not in every way, but in some ways, the capitalist adage, there's no such thing as bad publicity, is true. If people are misrepresenting Jesus, it's bad. First of all, it's bad for them. This has implications for their life right now, but also life, the next life. It's bad. The other bad thing about it is that sometimes people who misrepresent Jesus make other people turn away from Jesus. But the other thing that can happen is, and I've seen this happen, it makes people start to ask questions. Wait a second. Is that what Jesus is like? What? It's interesting that the Apostle Paul mentions in verse 13 that the Imperial Guard and everyone else know that he's chained up in prison because, not because he did a crime, but because he was preaching about Jesus. Yeah, it's freezing in here. (laughs) Some people outside of prison might try to discredit Paul because he's in prison for preaching about Jesus, but, and they might discredit Jesus in that way, but one way or another, the Imperial Guard and everyone else is being confronted with Jesus. First of all, they're being confronted with the name of Jesus. These people may never have heard about Jesus before, and now here's this guy who's preaching some other guy named Jesus, some Jewish guy, and who is this guy that is so, that it matters so much that his name is preached that his friend here has to be locked up? You start asking questions. Jesus' name is powerful. When people are confronted by it, no matter what, something happens. Jesus' name is powerful, and a person who's willing to go to jail because of how much he loves Jesus is notable. Why in the world would you put yourself in this situation for some guy named Jesus? So the Imperial Guard and everyone else, and who knows who everyone else is, it could be everyone else, might hear the words of the insincere preachers and they might see some actions of the insincere preachers that don't line up with the life of Christ, but what they're seeing really is the life in prison of the person who was probably the most sincere Jesus preacher ever, the Apostle Paul. And so... From that perspective, even though Paul really does care, and we know this from other places in the New Testament, he really does care very deeply how Jesus' followers portray Jesus, he is on this level right. 
the important thing is that in every way, whether from false motives or true, Christ is preached. And in this, I rejoice. Jesus' name is getting out there. That's when the Holy Spirit can work. There's also one other piece that is very intriguing to this passage. And it is verse 14. It just kind of sneaks in there. You might not have noticed it when Tom read it. He says, And because of my chains, most of the brothers and sisters have become confident in the Lord and dare all the more to proclaim the gospel without fear. Why is this surprising? Let me read it again. Because of my chains, most of the brothers and sisters, the other Christians, have become confident in the Lord and dare all the more to proclaim the gospel without fear. Go ahead, Ray. Well, these ones aren't. These are the good guys. Yeah, but there's something so weird about this. What is weird about it? Yes, exactly. Why are the people who really love Jesus and who really love Paul all of a sudden more confident because he's locked up? What gives? <laughs> right. There's a similar passage in Acts 4 where Peter and John get put in prison by the Pharisees and the Sadducees, and after they're released, the very first followers of Jesus all get together and they pray, and it's a very famous prayer, and it's longer than this, but... One of the things they say in it is, Now, Lord, consider their threats and enable your servants to speak your word with great boldness. Same thing. Why? <laughs> These people are threatening us. They're gonna, they want to put us in jail. They want to hurt us. They want to do bad things to us. So please make us bolder to keep preaching. To get more in trouble. Go ahead. Okay, that's one thing. Paul is a great example that this life isn't the only life. But what if that were how Christians, how people who follow Jesus are supposed to be? Somehow in our culture, not just, our, not just the Christian culture in the United States, but American culture, I think, or Western culture in general, we have formed in such a way that Whenever we feel like our group, whatever that is, it could be church, it could be Christians, it could be some other interest group, whenever we feel like our group is receiving any kind of pushback or persecution or anything, we think it's our job to legislate the persecution away in the name of our rights. I have met very few people including myself, who stand up for their faith or their cause by just quietly and consistently living what they believe and keeping on quietly and persistently preaching the good news of Jesus in the face of opposition. When we face opposition, we're like, so, you know, I, some of you know, in 2019 when I was working here, started working here and I was like, I'm going to get another part-time job and I started working for TSA and they didn't give me Sundays off, which you might realize is kind of a problem. So that's why I don't work for them anymore. <laughs> but, 
but it was really tempting to be like, oh, hey, you're not taking my religious rights into consideration here. And I would have had grounds to protest that. But that's not what these Christians do. The New Testament Christians could not care less about rights. Some of them had them. Paul had rights because he was formerly a Roman citizen. Not all of the people who were subject to the Roman Empire were officially Roman citizens. And if you were not a Roman citizen, you had zero rights, none. And Paul did use his Roman citizen rights sometimes, but clearly not all the time, because he would not have ended up in jail as many times as he did if he had. Nobody, none of the New Testament Christians, whether they were citizens or not, were trying to get the Roman Empire to become a Christian nation. And because they weren't trying to do that, they were free, all of them were free, to really focus on following Jesus no matter what. And introducing other people to Jesus. And just following, just loving Jesus and each other. And no matter what, for the Christians in the first century, usually meant trouble. So when Peter or John or the Apostle Paul got into trouble for preaching the name of Jesus, the people who really loved Jesus, who were really trying to become like Jesus, got braver. And they loved and preached the good news even more sincerely and more openly, even though it pretty nearly guaranteed they were also going to get persecuted. They were following a Messiah who had been crucified for showing humanity what God is like. And they were trying to be like him because they loved him. We are also following that same Messiah. So when an average, unimportant Jesus follower, like you or me, if we were in the first century, if one of us saw somebody like Paul, who was famous and well-known, and we saw him beaten up, and we saw him locked up because of how much he loved his Lord, who had also been beaten up and crucified, there was one of two choices. You either say, oh, Paul's finally out of the way. Now I can become a famous apostle. Or you can say, if even an important apostle like Paul can go through that for Jesus, then Jesus is worth it. And with God's help, I can go through it too. So the questions for us today to take home are, how will we respond when we face opposition or persecution? We're not, I do not believe the American church is at persecution stage. But we do, I think any one of us has occasionally felt some, some of our friends or people that we know or the culture in general kind of pushing against things that are important to us that we believe that God has called us to. So how do we respond to that? Will we allow it to cause sibling rivalry or rivalry with our community? Or will we remember and recognize that we, we and other Christians 
are all members of the crucified body of Christ so that we will be encouraged to live more boldly, peaceably and boldly, sharing Jesus' life the way he did for the reconciliation of all things. Let's keep that in mind as we go into communion where we recognize the broken body of our Lord. <coughs> Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for your sacrifice for us, and thank you that even though sibling rivalry is a natural human tendency from the very beginning, um, that you are the one who reconciles, and with your help, we can face all struggle together in your name for your glory. We pray that we will keep that in mind as we recognize your body as we take communion today. In your name, amen. <coughs>